this morning. And turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're going to just uh, use a few things here to dive off into the subject that is at hand. Last week, we kind of gave you the summary notes of the end of a chapter, the end of a book. And we're going to do that same thing tonight, or excuse me, this morning, Spirit of Consistency, uh, just really dealing with verse 1 of chapter 8. And uh, we know that this entire chapter uh, is dealing with the Spirit of God. And um, I just want to pull out verse 1. And uh, we've covered this pretty good. But just to say a few more things, and we'll look at a couple of other different portions of Scripture. But he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You can look down in verse 5 all the way through verse 13. And he deals with the spirit and the flesh. Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. He says, for, thee, for to be what? Carnally minded is death. Down in verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Then he says in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Then we can't skip verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So this morning I want to talk about this thought of just walking in the Spirit a little bit. And uh, really, if you will, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And just closing remarks of the book of Corinthians, we find this great ending and uh, he is dealing with a church of great carnality. He's dealing with a church of all different types of problems and wrong choosing and the wrong choices and whatnot. And uh, as he writes as a father to his children, he closes. He closes with some great points that can't be ignored. And I pray that this will go along with what we have for you this morning uh, from Romans chapter 8. Verse 11, it says, in 2 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Closing remarks. It's always a good preacher to say in closing about ten times. All God's people said, Amen. So Paul does that. He says, finally, in closing, you know, you're sitting there as a little boy, little girl in church, and Brother Kyle's nephew came to BBS, and I had to control my laughter in class because he came the first night, and uh, he had a little frustration. The second night, he came back, and we were sitting in class, and the first night, he said, class is boring, and I just about lost it laughing, you know. The second night, he came back, and, and he was over here in the crafts, and he said, you know what? It's not so bad here after all. And I said, well, I'm glad you, you think that, you know. We must have done something right the first time to make you feel that way. Well, you know, you've got games. And you've got some prizes. And, and are we going to have snacks again? Yeah, we're going to have snacks. Okay, well, it's not too bad. But as a kid, you're in church and you're kind of thinking, when is this thing going to be over? I just want to go play on the monkey bars. And uh, for me, we had monkey bars outside of the church growing up. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. 
Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So I want to give you six things that really he pulls out in this passage, verse 11 and verse 12. And they are the closing remarks of Corinthians and the church of Corinth. But they deal with the subject of just walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, mortifying the deeds of our flesh. He says, finally, brethren, these are important words, closing words. If your parents were to die today and you would step with them by their bedside as they were to pass and hold their hand and look in their eyes and listen to their words, it would be important what they would say to you. You would hold on to those things. And so we kind of look at this passage, I think many times, uh, the beginning of uh, a book and the ending of a book, we kind of fall to the uh, wayside, just kind of voided out of our mind and not really thinking about these points and these thoughts of Scripture. But these are important things. He says, finally, brethren, he's talking to the children of God. He's talking to you and I as Christians. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Whether Paul's there or whether he's not, you and I, we have a responsibility to serve God, to live in these things, to fulfill the works of the Spirit in our life. Amen? To mortify the deeds of our flesh. He says, finally, brethren, you know, if, if your mom makes you do it, if your dad makes you do it, or if you're doing it for uh, uh, to be recognized by people, or if you're doing it because if you don't, the pastor's going to call you, you know, we're doing it for the wrong reason. If I'm doing it for my wife, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Absent or present, serve God. Who's a mentor in your life? Who took time in your life? There was a time maybe when you were serving the Lord because of their influence. And we thank God for that influence. But now you've come to a mature place in your life where you're no longer serving the Lord just because of their influence. It's taken root in your own life. And now you're mentoring other people. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. The first thing that we see that Paul encourages the church of Corinth, he says, number one, be perfect. Be perfect. We think about the word perfect and really the greatest example of perfection, the only example of perfection is Christ. We know the word perfection or perfect could be translated in the sense of maturity. But I like to look at it in this thought of just being an example as Christ was, looking the part of Christ, being a true Christian, an imitator of Christ. He says, be perfect. To mortify the deeds of the flesh is to live the lifestyle that Christ lived. As he was hungry, fasting for 40 days, and he turned not the stones into bread, not yielding to the word of the, the devil, but being that example and standing in a, a spirit of maturity and perfection of walking in God and being God and having the Spirit of God uh, filled in His being. This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. And having that statement, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect as Christ. Be perfect as Christ. You know, the word perfection, it implies full development. It, it, it implies a spirit of maturity. It implies uh, a sense of growth. That is, that, that's what he's talking about here. You know, isn't it good to be able to have people in the church? I'll tell you what, uh, I've learned that there are some low-maintenance Christians and there are some high-maintenance Christians. And I'm grateful for the low-maintenance Christians. You know, amen. 
where they they come and they're going to serve God. You don't have to worry about them. You don't have to wonder where what if they're going to be here. You say, I'll see you tonight. And they're back tonight. Hey, I love you, brother. And they love you. And they're there and they're serving. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And then some people, they're not there. And you have to call them. You have to visit them. And you have to encourage them. And you have to do little things that might uh, bring them along the way. But this word perfection or to be perfect, it means to be developed. Man, my son Noah is truly a teenager. You have to say say, uh, say things three or four times. Hey, Brother Noah, I was just talking about you. In a good way. Three or four things. Using you as an example. Amen. And then finally, after mom stops and has to look him in the eye and say, I told you, what are you doing? Could you not? You know, oh, that's what you were saying when you said put my socks in my drawers you meant put my socks that are on my feet uh or the socks that we've been folding laundry or the you know the socks in my drawer i thought you meant to take the trash out you know it's funny but there's a difference between a 13 year old boy and a 30 year old man there's a place of maturity where you find out i remember for me when i had my first son um, man, just life changing a lot of ways and hitting me pretty uh, hard. I remember when my wife and I bought our first home and we looked at each other and we're like, we're adults. This is weird. Yesterday we weren't really adults. We could, you know, pick up and go wherever, but now we've got, we're homeowners and uh, responsibility and I've got to paint and mow the grass now and do all these things. But there's that spirit of maturity. Look with me in First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, down in verse number 16. He says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That word perfection is also another word that's seen in the expression of the word holy. Very similar note. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be holy because your parents are holy. Be holy because this person's holy. Be holy because you want to be like this man or this person. No, we're not looking at individuals. We're looking at Christ. I'll let you down. Uh, the salesman will let you down. The, uh, the, the mailman will let you down. The government will let you down. Your wife will let you down. But God won't. Look at Christ. Be perfect. Perfect. Perfection. Have a, a, a element of maturity. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I tell you what, sometimes uh, when you're married, you grow into a element of maturity one with another, meaning that you know certain things you don't really uh, bring up because it's not going to be healthy or some things you don't talk about or this thing you're not going to push and, 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 and you uh, not in a sense of uh, ignoring things, but in a sense of the health of the marriage. And as Paul well, not as Paul, but as Peter says, to dwell with them according to what? Knowledge. To know your spouse. And Ephesians speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says down in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting. A continual motion of maturity. Becoming more and more 
Are you purified? Are you cleaner today than you were then? Are you stronger in your faith? Are you fortified? These words, these closing remarks, you don't get there by walking in the flesh. You get there by mortifying the deeds of your flesh. He said the perfection for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. They're all three separate things, but they're interwoven one with another. Perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry is the perfecting of the saints. Is that not part of the work of the ministry? Absolutely. And he says the edifying of the body of Christ. Is that not also work of the ministry? Is that not also part of perfecting who you are? You know, what does he say? Edifying the body of Christ. Edifying meaning words of uplifting, uh, edification, to exhort, to encourage, to uplift, to build up, to establish. And yet some people, they think they're really mature and they come into the house of God and they're frowning from ear to ear and they're not pleasant. They've got a chip on their shoulder and they're just waiting for somebody to knock it off. That's not the perfecting of the saints. That's the imperfecting of the individual. And we need to walk into that person, become that person. Look with me back in First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 13. The first word is be perfect. Be perfect. Be perfect. But then the second word, closing remarks, this thought of walking in the Spirit, he says, be of good comfort. Be of good comfort. I want you to circle the, the two words, good comfort. And the first word that we're going to look at first, the word good. You know, the word good, it means healthy or positive. Overall, beneficial to the person. It's something that is good. The opposite of good is bad, harmful, hurtful. He uses the word good to express this thought of comfort. You need to be comforted. You need something that's going to stick with you. You need something that you can hold on to. Because the devil's going to try to take it from you and the world's going to try to take it from you and hard times are going to try to take it from you. And one that is perfect, be perfect, mature, is the one that's going to have good comfort. The one that is imperfect or the one that's not mature, the one that's not grown up, is the one that's going to deal with the sorrows of life in a childish way. They're going to get bitter at God. They're going to get mad at God. He says, be a good comfort. I mean, living the Christian life is not easy. You have to be reminded sometimes on a daily basis that our reward is not here. We're not getting paid today for what we do for the Lord here. Sometimes the, uh, the person that's serving the Lord begins to take their eyes off of Christ and look at situations and people hurt them and and situations hurt them and they become bitter, angry, upset, disappointed. Are you going to stop serving God because someone around you stopped serving God? Are you going to get out of church because a pastor falls? Are you going to get out of church because your mom and dad no longer serve the Lord? What's going to happen if your wife or your husband chooses, you know, for whatever reason to fall into the world and the things of the world and 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 no longer serving God. Are you going to give up and just, you know, it's not always easy, is it? And the Bible says, be of good comfort. To comfort yourself. These things are healthy. How do we comfort ourselves in times of distress? We go to God's word. If you will look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Second Corinthians chapter one. And he says down in verse three. Blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation. He, he uses the word all our. This thing is, you know, a collective group. You go through your own tribulation, but you're not the only one going through tribulation. In other words, God can comfort you so you can comfort someone around you. And, he, and He's there with us who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes it's a hug. Sometimes it's a letter. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's flowers. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's saying the thing they know uh, that needs to be said, but you're saying it because it needs to be said. Romans 8.28 I pray that you don't get upset in times of trouble if someone gives you that verse because it is. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper. It's part of God's Word. He says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Notice that. He says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation. Have you ever thought that you're going through something right now for the benefit and help of someone else down the road? We don't always look at it that way. I know I don't. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation and hope of you, what? Steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Be steadfast. Be steadfast and knowing. This thought of good comfort. Look with me back in our text. 2 Corinthians 13. He says, be perfect and be of good comfort. Be, be of good comfort. Not only to look at life in the eyes of through the eyes of Christ, but also to comfort those that are around you. In other words, don't be upset if something happens. Know it's God's hand. Know it's God's working. But then also take that, that comfort that you've received and give it. These things are done when we mortify the deeds of the flesh. To comfort one another, you have to spend time with that person. You have to get in the ditch with that person. You have to be emotionally invested and connected to that person. And it's not always easy to submit yourself to that place. It's a removal of your desire. It's a removal of your um, needs, or the things that you need right now done in your life, putting your life, your time on pause and helping your brother or your sister. Comfort, good comfort. Be of good comfort. And then he says, number three, be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Be of one mind. There's two ways of looking at this statement. I think first and foremost, the word unity has to be acknowledged. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a body. 
be of one mind. But I think there's another way of looking at this statement. It's the mind of Christ. It's not Christ's mind and my mind. It's not two different perspectives or two different views. Be of one mind. Whose mind are we going to follow? Is it yours? Is it mine? Or is it Christ? It has to be Christ. When we follow the mind of Christ, we're going to be safe. We're going to be comforted. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be yet, uh, uh, knitted together. Uh, there's going to be unity in our decisions, unity in our focus, unity in our drive. What are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? Well, it's not His agenda. It's God's agenda. I can follow someone that's following the Lord. Why? Because they're following the Lord. I can yoke up with a brother that has their eyes on Christ. Why? Because it's not his mind. It's the Lord's mind. Sometimes when it's our mind, we change our mind. We have some weird ideas. We have some funky views. You know, it's always funny. Down through the years, I've had a few people that have given me, out of the kindness of their heart, certain things that are not necessarily Bible. And they mean well, but they're a gift. I had a lady one time give me a picture of a long-haired hippie Jesus. Oh, thank you so much, sister. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know, and uh, um, it's always a delicate thing when people give you artwork because they want you to display it somewhere. I'll give you another story of the church, first church I pastored. There was a mural of uh, a beautiful picture, and it was kind of outdated and just just old uh, anyways, but we were remodeling the building in the, where the baptistry was. This family, uh, we were remodeling and, and, and it was on paneling and this family wanted the picture because it was Uncle So-and-So's artwork that he put up there. It was a big, good picture. Okay, that's great. Well, what are we going to do to, you know, put back there as a, you know, just as one of those pictures. A lot of times it might be a, a mountain in the background with a river flowing through and then here's the baptistry. There was a lady in our church and her name was Ruth. Sweet woman, sweet woman. And she said, Pastor, she came to me and she was a great painter. She came to me and she volunteered. And without thinking, I just said, absolutely, that's great. Anything you want to paint, that would be wonderful. Oh, that was a bad idea. And she had this picture done, finally ready to put up, and she wanted to present it to me and my wife. And it was a picture of a long-haired Jesus standing up there with his hands out, you know, like this. Oh, what have I done? And I had to delicately talk to her. And uh, so what am I saying? I'm using that as an illustration. Sometimes our mind is not always crystal clear with the word of God. She had good intentions. She wanted to be a blessing. She wanted to help. You know what she did? She said, oh my, I didn't even think about that. You're exactly right. And then she painted a beautiful scenery picture. Praise the Lord for that. I got out of that one. Amen. But one mind. Christ is our mind. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll look down in verse number 10. He says, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. You know, sometimes the mind is not always positive, is it? Sometimes the mind is not always uplifting. Sometimes the mind is not always encouraging. Man, I don't want someone to come in here and just, you know, just 
Negativity breeds what? Negativity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. He says down in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Endeavoring. Are you working hard for this? Are you laboring for this? Sometimes it's hard to keep that unity in your family. Frustrations when uh, um, you know marriage is not going well or children are getting older and they're having their own perspective, their own thoughts about things. You know, and try, trying to keep that shift going in the right direction. But endeavoring. Look with me back in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, number one, be perfect. Number two, be of good comfort. Number three, be of one mind. Number four, live in peace. I think there's a step one, step two, step three, step four. Be perfect, mature, be of good comfort. Encourage, don't be disappointed. Be of one mind, that's the mind of Christ. But then he says, live in peace. I think there's logical conclusion do this, do this, and do this, and you'll find peace in your life. It may not be uh, complete, total peace in the sense of removing all of the obstacles. That's not until eternity. But God can allow us to go through the storm and still have peace during the storms of life. Why? If we are mature, if we have uh, knowledge, knowing that God is using this for our good and for the good of other people to comfort also, if we are looking at the situation with the mind of God, this is His mind, not my mind, we can live in peace. No fightings, positive actions, a disposition that's pleasing to the Lord. If a hardship comes, can you live with that hardship, but live with that hardship with a spirit of peace? Some people enjoy the fight. God's not called us to fight. God's called us to have this sense of peace. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. But this thought of, of fighting against the will of God and, and, and bucking the word of God and being disappointed with the word of God, these things bring us to a place of peace when we are matured, when we are of good comfort, when we are of one mind, we can live in peace. He says to live in peace, to live with your neighbors in peace. Sometimes it's not worth it. Not worth it. You're not going to change them. They're not going to change you. So for the sake of the relationship, uh, you live in peace. I think there's a fault there of spiritual peace. Of I'm not racked with demonic oppression. I'm not uh, being led by the things of the world. Sin has a way of bringing uh, frustration and disappointment and chaos and ruin in our life. But when we walk with Christ, we can have peace. Could you have peace and be poor? Absolutely with Christ. Could you have peace and be rich? Absolutely with Christ. Because the object of your love is not what you have. It's Christ. It's Christ. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. These things again are done by being yielded to the Spirit of God. 1 Peter chapter 5. Down in verse 5. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast 
casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I asked you, are you living in peace? Living in peace? How do we live in peace? Again, submitting ourselves, being clothed with a spirit of humility, resisting the proud, giving grace uh, uh, opportunity in our life, to be humble in our life. When we cast our care upon Him in our life, when he, when he says be sober, we can we can have peace. When we fight, is it good to, to work? Absolutely. Is it good to fight the good fight of faith? Absolutely. He says be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. And that's how we live in peace. The worst life you can live is a life that you're saved and your life is out of the will of God. Miserable. Miserable. Upset. Disappointed. A hypocrite. Not measuring up to the standard of God's word. And, and finding... Um, you know, I think so many people have, have all of these different you know, as the old juggler used to do, except not juggling balls, he would take and spin the plates. And all these plates spin. You know? And that's how we're trying to live the Christian life in our own flesh. We, we're trying to keep this up and 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 keep this up. And it's our own ability and our own uh, strength and power. And something falls. And when it falls, it usually knocks them all down. Knocks them all down. And live in peace. To know that God is there and He's working. Look with me back in our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind. Live in peace. And it's almost as we come to the last portion of this verse, He gives us a list of things to do. And if you do these things, this is your blessing. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Notice, let's read it in that light. Finally, brethren, farewell. Whether I'm with you or not, absent or present, serve God. He says, this is what you need to do. I'm not going to be there anymore, but I'm giving you this final word of Christian remarks to encourage you. Number one, be perfect. Number two, be of good comfort. Number three, be of one mind. Number four, live in peace. And when you do those things, the God of love and peace shall be with you. There's nothing more comforting than God's love and God's peace. When you are in that place where the bullets are flying, but they don't touch you because God 
is hovering all around you. And the snares of the devil are all over the place. But God's love and God's peace is there with you. I want you to notice this thought. He says in verse verse 11, And the God of love and peace shall be with you. I wrote this down. Keep God in the midst. Keep God in your midst. Where do you want God? You want Him 20 feet away? 100 feet away? We know He's everywhere. But in your heart, in your mind, where do you? Where is God? Is He in the back of the car? You know that sign on the front of the car is Christ is my co-pilot. Oh, it's so horrible. I don't want Him to be my co-pilot. I want Him to drive this thing. Is God driving this thing? Keep God in the midst. Look in 1 Corinthians again, chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three, down in verse sixteen. Let me just give you this verse as a reminder. I know you know this. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth where? Where do you want Christ? Where do you want God at? Where is He? He's right there in you. He's with you. You walk into a bar, he's with you. You're going to grieve him, but he's with you. You walk into church, he's with you. Where two or three are gathered. Guess what? We're living in the age of grace. Where there's one believer, there he is. There he is. Why? He's in you. You go to that place of work and there's no Christians. You're the only one. And 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 I heard a, a, a testimony of a brother that was struggling with a blue-collar job. And he acknowledged that because all of the filth and the conversation and and uh, uh, the, the, the cussing. And he needed to get out of that place and find a different place. Well, I, acknowledge, I, I, I applaud the sense of knowing his own heart and guarding his own heart and needing some help there. But you know what? God can help you be in that place and still stand strong. Still stand strong. Look in Philippians chapter 2. Down in verse 3. Let me remind you of the statement, and the God of love and peace, the God of love and peace shall be with you. Love and peace. What's the opposite of that? Hate and war. Hate and war. Love and peace, the opposite of that is and more, right? Okay, look in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Love and peace. Love and peace. Not hate and war. And then last of all, look with me back in our text here, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now this is kind of a unique one. Verse 12. Six things that he gives us. These closing remarks. He says greet one another with holy 
I wrote down holy affection. Holy affection. Holy affection. Different cultures express friendship and love in different ways that are uh, okay and right in the eyes of God. I, I uh, When I lived in Peru, they would kiss each other on the cheek. Men and women. We don't do that here, and so I get that. But Paul is just saying holy affection. Holy affection one to another. Greet one another. In other words, the thought of greeting is to be in one's life. To be a part of one's life. Encouraging one's life. Investing in one's life. And, and this thought of greeting one another with a holy kiss. Embracing that brother. Embracing that Christian with the right kind of affection. Holy affection. Brotherly love. If you will look with me back in Ephesians chapter 4 down in verse 32. He says, and be kind one to another, tender hearted. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Tender hearted. That's what he's talking about here. Greeting one another with a holy kiss. Being tender hearted. Would you react to someone else's kids the way you react to your kids? Maybe uh, you would have a little more grace for your son or daughter, but for someone else's, maybe not so much. Do we always look at the situation like we're going through it? Or in the same eyes as if this happened to me? Holy affection, love, kindness. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, these things are mortifying the deeds of the flesh. As we're talking about in Romans, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, down in verse 6, he says, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love and fame. Man. Now what's he talking about? Go back up here. He says, in verse 4, but in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and affliction, Afflictions in necessities, in distresses, in strikes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. How? Why? In what way? By pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfailing. Could Paul have said all of that if he was walking in his flesh. No. He, he couldn't. And I think whether it be Romans, whether it be Philippians, whether it be Second Corinthians, we have this consistency, these closing remarks. Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy gift. Father, we pray this evening excuse me, this morning, that you would help us to do these things. Lord, that we would walk with you and in you. Lord, we thank you for your touch and your help that we need. Lord, I pray that you would help us to comfort those that are discouraged. Lord, sometimes we get discouraged and you're there to comfort us. Lord, we thank you for your peace. We thank you for your comfort. Lord, help us to have one mind, that spirit of unity and that mind being Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find peace, to live in peace be satisfied content with the things which we have Lord may we keep you in the midst God thank you so much 
Christ's name we pray. Amen.